We are doing a series that I'm calling Into the Sunset as I ride off into the sunset, my uh, last sermon series here. Last time I said, uh, you know, I'm going to preach several sermons. Uh, last Saturday I did the same intro, went outside, and immediately three people said, oh, it's your last Sunday. Don't listen, do you? It's just kind of discouraged. So last week we started with uh, one of my favorite passages, Isaiah 40, because the message of Isaiah 40 is one of the central messages of all of the Bible, and that is to look at your God, behold your God. And, and fundamentally, our worldview is shaped by how we view God. Uh, A.W. Tozer, famous quote, the most important thought anyone has is what they think of when they think of God. And, and so fundamentally, the beginning point of our worldview is rooted in that uh, understanding of looking at God. And, and I love the beautiful description of God triune as well as Jesus, the God-man, that he comes with great power but also with incredible love and compassion, that he not only is capable of meeting our every need but he cares enough to meet our every need. Just an incredible, incredible passage that has meant so much to me. You know, when you've graduated from seminary, you have to be ready to preach, pray, or die at any moment. And, and when I'm ever asked uh, last minute to preach, that's the passage I go to. It just means so much to me. Some have asked me actually to die, but anyway, the, um, today I, I want to I take it the next step. These are, these are issues that are really foundational to my worldview, to my worldview of ministry, and I uh, quite think, frankly, I think in some ways are, are horribly missing in the world today. We're going to look at the book of Proverbs. 31 chapters in Proverbs. One of the great, great, great studies you can do is read a chapter of the book of Proverbs every day. And that means most months you'll get through all, all of the, ch- every other month you'll go through all 31 and then, and then through 30 most months. And that's okay because the perfect woman is 31 and she kind of gets on a lot of people's nerves because she's just so perfect. I, of course, married her. So, you know, it, it's, uh, I don't need to read. No, seriously, it's, it's a great way to, um, to be rooted in this, the, the message of the book of Proverbs, which I hope we can introduce to you today. I think is incredibly, incredibly significant. When I think of the book of Proverbs, I think of my daddy. Um, many of at Grace knew my mom. Uh, she was about four foot nothing by the time, you know, she was little tiny lady, a force of nature. She could chew you out in fewer words than any human being I ever know. And I, I happen to know that from a great deal of personal experience. Uh, she was, uh, grew up in the great city of Malakoff, Texas. And, um, she had tons of wisdom, had a huge impact, but, but you didn't know my dad. My dad died in 19... 19- 91 when I was 38 and I will never be the man my dad was in many ways um, because of what he overcame uh, he was born as he would say blind in one eye and couldn't see out of the other he was born blind literally blind in one eye and had horrible vision out of the other eye so that he couldn't start school till he was eight because they couldn't afford glasses and he couldn't see um, his, his mother went through three marriages. The, the last stepfather was abusive. My dad started supporting himself when he was 13. Um, at one of his jobs, he worked in the little newspaper in beautiful Eureka Springs, Arkansas. And, and even though he was a child, he was trying to fix the linotype machine and lost a finger. And um, 
the, they took him to the doctor and the doctor poured a bottle of iodine over it and said, you'll be okay, son. Um, but it was this finger. And when he shook my hand, he would always dig the nub into my, uh, and that kind of summarized my dad's. He, he would tease me till, he, till I cried. And, and I had to learn that was not good to do on dates. It just, um, but it's kind of the way I grew up. He was the clerk of the session of our little Presbyterian church, which in, in, in other world speak means he was the secretary of the elder board. And, and, um, but I never heard him pray publicly. The only time I heard him pray was at the dinner table. He was incredibly private man. Um, never said much. Um, in fact, when I, when I came into high school and really started growing in Christ, because he was so quiet and because he was so private about it, I went did what a lot of teenagers did. I wondered if he was really a Christian um, because it was just, he didn't wear it on his sleeve. He just lived it in his life. He, he, I never met a more honest man. Never met a more honest man. Not always the best sense. He called one girl I dated stupid, but to her face, um, I kept saying, he's kidding. He kids a lot. Um, um, I, sometimes he could, you know, but, but unbelievably honest, unbelievably high integrity. Un, his, he lived out the gospel in shoe leather, leather in a way that deeply impacted me. And so for me, as I grew and decided, do I want to follow Jesus? I didn't follow him just because of the spiritual platitudes I heard at church. I followed him because I saw the depth of integrity of my parents. And that depth was overwhelming. We lived very modestly. Um, I could tell, I remember clearly in, high, in junior high, after football practice, waiting, for, yes, I played football, um, Badly, but I remember I could see him coming because our, our car smoked so much and I was just humiliated, but that's what we could afford. Um, but my father exemplified the righteousness of the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs is a book about biblical wisdom. And this is such an important thing because we don't know what biblical wisdom is. Um, when I was in seminary, I took a Hebrew course on wisdom, on Proverbs, and, and the, the, the um, definition they'll give you of wisdom is skillful living, living really, really well. And that's certainly true, but as we walk through it today, I want you to get a depth of the sense of what that means. So if you will, turn in your Bible to Proverbs. Um, book of Proverbs. First of all, Wisdom fears God. The first thing you need to know about biblical wisdom is that it starts with fearing God. Verse 1, the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, the wisest man of all time for, besides Jesus, for attaining wisdom and discipline, for understanding words of insight. Insight is that being able to distinguish between things, what is wise and what is foolish, what is good and what is bad, what is preferable and what is not for acquiring a disciplined and prudent life. In other words, learning self-control. 
doing what is right and just and fair. Notice wisdom is also committed to a morality of righteousness, of justice, of, of, of goodness. It is moral. And that's one of the areas where we have lost the sense of what wisdom is. Uh, we, we, we have somehow removed morality from our understanding of wisdom. And, and we take wisdom just to be being able to make really good decisions. But in Scripture, you can't make good decisions apart from what is moral and the will of God. And we'll see how that develops over time. Doing what is right and just and fair. Forgiving prudence to the simple. Uh, the simple is a lovely word. Uh, the, the book of Proverbs divides, divides the world into several groups. Uh, groups. There's the simple or naive. They're the clueless. We all know them, right? We've all been there. The, the simple or naive just doesn't know yet. There is the fool, and the fool chooses not to follow wisdom, and therefore is a fool. And there is the scoffer who not only chooses not to be wise, but mocks what is right and good. And we live in a world where there are a lot of scoffers right now. And then there is, in contrast to that, the wise person who lives their life determined to live in wisdom. Give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the young. Let the wise listen and add to their learning. Notice, the wise keep adding. Listen to me, old guys and ladies. You never stop learning wisdom. The, the church is full of older believers who are coasting in their faith. They, they know how to speak the language of church. They know how to behave in church. But they, they no longer hunger and thirst after righteousness. We are, we are full of pews of mature believers who no longer are seeking wisdom. And that is something we're all paying for. Let the discerning get guidance for understanding proverbs and parables and the sayings and riddles of the wise to learn that content of wisdom. Verse 7 is the one that we all know if we've ever studied the book of Proverbs. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. The beginning point of wisdom is fearing God. The beginning point of wisdom is fearing God. If, if, if your, your worldview is not shaped by the beginning point of fear of God, then your worldview will always be inadequate. And the, the, the primary issue that, that the Bible begins with in the structure of the fear of God is his role as the creator God. Genesis 1, 2, and 3, the, that, that significance that he is the creator. You think of Jonah, uh, who's your God? Well, mine's the God who created everything. Why is that so important? Because the fact that he creates gives him the right of sovereignty. The fact that he creates gives him the right of sovereignty. It means that everything is his. And so, foundationally, your worldview is inadequate if it doesn't begin with the beginning. And the beginning is that it's all God's. It all exists under his power. And to any sense that your worldview leaves that out, it's inadequate. Now, let me admit, there are foolish Christians and there are wise non-Christians. How does that happen? Well, there, there are non-Christians who, even though they reject the creator God, have somehow embraced 
the wisdom, the content of wisdom from Scripture. They, they make decisions that are consistent with, with the teaching of God. And sadly, there are way too many Christians who have embraced Jesus as their Savior, who have been forgiven for the sins and will be resurrected in the last days to eternal life, but yet, but yet, make decisions inconsistent with that wisdom. But, and we've all known both, right? But, True wisdom is built on the foundation of the fear of God because he is the creator and it's all his. And, and, and any, any system of thought that's not built on that foundation will be inadequate and will ultimately collapse because anyone in the building industry will tell you it's the foundation that holds everything else upright. Um, that's why we all live on the black clay of Dallas. Verse 8, listen, my son, to your father's instruction and do not forsake your mother's teaching. Um, I don't mean to be offensive. Well, I kind of do. The, um, way too many Christians in America and in Dallas have forfeited their responsibility to instruct their children and said the church and my Christian private school is responsible. But in Scripture... The beginning point is the instruction of the parents. Now, parents are inadequate, and when children turn into adolescence, parents become incredibly stupid. We get that you need other people involved. It's not only the parents. That's, that's another failing. There's some group that say the dad's the fountain of all wisdom, and that's written, obviously, by a dad, right? Not a wife. Um, uh, but scripturally, the beginning point of a religious instruction is ideally in the home. Deuteronomy 6, the great Shema, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one, and you shall worship the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And you are to teach your children as you get up and go to bed, as you go out and, and all your walking. In other words, the Deuteronomy 6 says that, that religious instruction is intended to be an ongoing life lesson that begins in the home. An ongoing life lesson begins in the home. And that's why he said, don't forget about what mom and dad taught you. And the irony of this is, some of you are thinking, I, I didn't go to cemetery. I don't know these things. I, but my daddy didn't either. In fact, he didn't talk about his faith much. And it'd been cool if he had, but given his background, he, he couldn't. But he lived it day in and day out in the little things of life. If you said it, you could, you could base your life on it. He, he, he lived it out and that's why, and so words are, are needed, but the beginning point is living it. And that's why the Christian's home is so important because God intends for us to live our faith when no one else is looking in the living room, in the dining room, at work. Part of the reason some of us are trying to delegate that to this Christian school and church is because we know we're failing in our private lives. And then we wonder why our kids are struggling. Listen to your parents' instruction. And they will be the 
teaching will be a garland to grace your head and a chain to adorn your neck. It will make you attractive. Chapter 9, verse 10, same idea. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Well, it's interesting when you look, obviously being in the Old Testament, you look at the Ten Commandments. The, the first commandments are about what? About loving God. Um, worship only God, no idols. And, and so even the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments, show that the beginning of instruction begins with your knowledge of God. But then you live that out in your relationship to others. All of this is consistent throughout in the way it's taught. How important is this wisdom? One proverb it will be a su- suffice. Chapter 4, verse 7. Wisdom is supreme. Therefore, get wisdom. Though it cost all you have, get understanding. Though it cost all you have, get understanding. Though it cost all you have, get understanding. How many of us are that committed to that kind of wisdom? Obviously, the, the beginning point of fearing God for a new test in the New Testament era is, is trusting in Jesus' death on the cross because that's when we, we meet God through his Son and we gain, we gain access to his presence through Jesus' death on the cross. And we gain fellowship for eternity through his resurrection. So that is, for the New Testament believer, that is fulfilled in the gospel. But see how it's foreshadowed here so perfectly? And that that God's will is that we meet him and then live out his teaching in all areas of our life. Way too often, we equate wisdom, like I said, with just making good decisions. But in scripture, morality is a good decision. You cannot separate goodness and justice and righteousness from a good decision. And the reason we've done that, in my opinion, especially since the birth of of the computer age and technology, we have raised intelligence as more valuable than wisdom. We, We love smart people. Because smart people created the computer and wrote the languages and the iPod and the and I'm an Apple guy. I, I had the very first iMac. I've got I've had two or three iPods. I mean iPads. I've had an iPod. I've got an i everything. You know what I mean? But we live in a society where Steve Jobs is a hero, even though Steve Jobs, by his own admission, is a moral train wreck, right? He was a moral train wreck, best illustrated in the way he treated his daughter, Lisa. He, had, he, he, he was the father of his daughter, Lisa, but refused to give her the right, not even financially, just of any kind of acknowledging that she was his dad until toward the very end of his life. But just to stick his finger in her eye, he named a computer after her. So, yeah, you're smart, but that's not wisdom. That's not, that's not moral wisdom. That's not, that's not a hero in the biblical sense, right? I mean, God gave him those gifts, those abilities. He, he created great products. I'm grateful for them. But, but we live in a society that elevates that and doesn't elevate the wisdom of Scripture. 
And we're paying for it as a society, aren't we? Wisdom begins with the fear of the Lord. The second point I want you to see is um, wisdom avoids evil. This is where I want you to see how, how morality is so much a part of the idea of wisdom. It's not just smart decisions. Let me read three Proverbs to you. 8.13, to fear the Lord is to hate evil. I hate pride and arrogance, evil behavior and perverse speech. 14.2, he whose walk is upright fears the Lord, but he whose ways are devious despises him. 16.6, through love and faithfulness, sin is atoned for. Through the fear of the Lord, a man avoids evil. Wisdom is always moral. And evil is always ultimately foolish. The way I say it to our staff is sin is stupid. Sin is stupid. There are all kinds of things that our society elevates as, as being cool and fun and great, but at the, the end is always bad because sin is stupid. Why is that? Because God created everything. He created the order consistent with his will. So when we live according to his will, what happens? We experience the benefit of working in, in concert with the way he created things. When we live in disobedience, what do we do? We live in contradiction to the way he created things. So when we disobey him, we step into the mud of disobedience, which always ends in disaster. Let me give you some simple examples. Gluttony is a sin in scripture. It's one I sometimes struggle with. As one Christian leader said, when I bow my head to pray, I see my sin. Um, I mean, the, the, right? I mean, the reality is, uh, God, the book of Ecclesiastes says a great meal is a gift of God and to be, be, be enjoyed. But it also says that when we fall into gluttony, when we make too much of food, I struggle with that, right? When we do that too much, bad things happen. Why is that? Because God created the order so that when we get too heavy, it hurts our health, Right? Now, it doesn't make heavy people, that's not the ultimate sin. There are all kinds of sins that each of us chooses from, right? But that's one that I sometimes struggle with. I like to eat, you know. Um, drunkenness. You know, uh, you don't have to live long to see lives that are destroyed by alcohol and drug abuse. Uh, can it make you feel good? Sure. But why does God limit it? Because he doesn't want us to feel good? No, because, because, because it ultimately can lead to horrible destruction. Lust. Oh, well, that's personal. Nobody knows about that. Oh, come on now. When, when a man, let's pick on men because I are one. When a man lusts after a woman, he objectifies her. He steals her humanity. He lessens the um, image of God in her and directly affects the way he'll treat her. Dishonesty, lying. When there's no honesty, what happens? We lose trust. We lose trust. And when we lose trust, what happens? Relationships are harmed. Um, our first house, we bought the smallest, one of the smallest three-bedroom houses I've ever seen. It was in prestigious North Mesquite, though. And, and the closing documents were that thick. Our last house, the closing documents were that thick. Why is that? Because in the old days, your word meant something. 
There weren't near as many laws. Now there is so much. And that's one of the interesting things. One of the arguments that I could make if we had time is that, that the more God's morality is left the building, the more we lose efficiency in all of our systems, our family systems, our, even our economic system loses efficiency when you can't trust someone else's work, right? Because, because sin is stupid. Sin is foolish. Sin is not wise. And therefore, sin always tears away from the shalom and blessing that God intends. We, we live in a, a world that is increasingly required us to be more guarded, more careful, less efficient, more broken, because we've left the morality of Scripture. And with the more you leave the morality of Scripture, the less things work the way they were intended to work. Adultery destroys marriages, families. Uh, we, uh, some of the staff this week had a, a meeting with an old friend of mine that I met a couple of years ago, and he's working for a group, and, and um, fascinated. I'd never heard this. He said that everybody's talking about how young people are leaving the church. Now, follow this closely. It's a little confusing. What he said was, if you're in a family where mom and dad are still together, you're just as likely to go to church as you've ever been. So what's changed? Mom and dad aren't together anymore. And in single parent families, for a host of reasons, and I'm not bashing single parents. Single parents are heroes of mine for what they do, the way they fight for their kids and everything else. So don't hear that. But it's just harder, right? That's why the church is so important to come alongside single parents and say, we're here with you. It's so important. So, so you, you destroy marriages and what happens? Kids pay a price, right? It's foolish. Sin is, sin is stupid. Sin hurts people. It hurts us. It hurts we lo- those we love. It is, sin is awful. But the irony is sometimes we see that hurt and rather than recoiling from it, we follow, fall into it. But the beginning of the of wisdom is to fear God. And wisdom hates evil. Wisdom will always avoid evil. And the more we leave God's ways, the more we devolve into the abyss of brokenness. And sadly, much of our culture in America is doing that on an individual level and on a bigger level. That's why, by the way, the body of Christ is so important. A church is supposed to be a place where we come in and fill each other's gaps in. Where the foolishness of the world has, has left those gaps. We, we love the widows and the orphans, the divorced and the hurting. We, we work beyond the divisions that tear apart our relationships. We bring reconciliation in our society. That's that, that we bring the shalom that God intended when he created us. The beginning of wisdom fears God. Wisdom avoids evil. And wisdom is not proud. 
Finally, wisdom is not proud. Everybody remembers Proverbs 16, 18. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Uh, the proverb says that pride is one of the great predictors of, of failure because when we get proud, we we do stupid things. We, we become bulletproof. And, and pride is, is one of the great, great sins of, of early success. It's, it's one of the great battles of every human heart. Um, let me read to you a few Proverbs on this. Wisdom is not proud. 3.7, don't be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. 8.13, to fear the Lord is to hate evil. I hate Pride and arrogance, evil behavior and perverse speech. 11.2, when pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with humility comes what? Wisdom. 15.33, the fear of the Lord teaches a man wisdom and humility comes before honor. 22.4, humility and the fear of the Lord bring wealth and honor and life. In Scripture, uh, you can make an argument that the foundation of foolishness and therefore of sin is pride. What was the, what was the temptation in the gar garden? You can be like God. Isn't that the essence of pride? To think that somehow we can replace God in our lives? Or to think somehow we are maybe even better than God? Isn't that the ultimate hubris and pride? And many of us aren't living out as wise as we could by because we don't have the hunger of humility. We instead are fat in our pride. We don't, we don't, we, we, we don't hunger and thirst after righteousness. We think we're pretty good. We, we're pretty smart. We're better than that guy. And thank God for that guy. There's always that guy that we can feel better than. If at least all of us have Hitler, right? Hitler is God's great gift to humanity because every human feels better than Hitler, right? Um, who did he compare himself to? I don't know. Um, humility is the beginning point in many ways after fearing God because what does fear do? It reminds us of our need, our humility. Why did we not seek God? Because we don't think we need him. We're pretty good. I mean, we've got it, right? Why would I need God? I mean, I've got the gospel. I'm trusting him. I'm saved. But, but scripture uh, has this concept of, of constantly seeking after God and his ways so that we become increasingly wise, which means living in concert with his will, both moral and in every other way. It's interesting, I, I, on a whim, I, I thought I would go to the ultimate source. I mean, I had the Bible, but I looked up Wikipedia and um, um, I thought I'd see what Wikipedia says about hubris. Hubris is a Greek word for pride. Let me read to you. In its modern usage, hubris denotes overconfident pride combined with arrogance. Hubris is often associated, they read the Bible, with the lack of humility. And sometimes a person hubris is also associated with ignorance, a lack of wisdom. A lack of wisdom. Um, 
Our world is broken. Our, many of our churches are broken. Many of church leaders have proven to be broken. Many families are, are, are broken. And ultimately it's because we, we have lost that sense of what it is to fear God and to recoil from that which is evil and in humility to seek him so that, so that his will trickles down into all of our lives. I love the book of Proverbs because it, 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 it shows how God's righteousness touches everything. It gets into crazily little mundane things. Because, see, that's what God's morality is intended to do. God's morality is intended to affect the way I talk, speak to people. Kind words. The way I keep my mouth shut. Uh, even a fool when he is silent seems wise. I quote that one to myself a lot. Um, the way I do my business, honest scales. The way I treat other people. The way I work with diligence. The way I save like the ant. In other words, you, you read it and you realize God's morality filters into every aspect of our life and it's when it's consistently lived it brings shalom and God's prosperity in everything we do and that is the faith of my father because he, he didn't get up and preach he barely got up and prayed and, and, and he didn't talk much it, he had a hard life but when I watched his life, he translated the truth of Jesus in the smallest details of his life because he believed if you believe it, then you live it. Men and women, that is wisdom. That is wisdom. And, and we are way too smart and nowhere near wise as we should be. Let's pray. Father, we confess that wisdom is hard. But in James, you say, if anyone lacks wisdom, he should ask God and who will give it generously. And then in chapter 3, you say, he who is wise and understanding among you, the one who shows it by his good life, by deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. In other words, we can, we can have wisdom if we ask you for it. And we can demonstrate our wisdom in the good life we live through our humility that is bound in wisdom. Lord, forgive us for our pride. For our, our reflex to defend ourselves even when we know we're wrong. Forgive us for our pride that, that rather than hungering and thirsting after righteousness and fellowship with you, we so quickly defend ourselves and get caught up in our own will. Forgive us for our pride that we look ourselves in the mirror and think we're good enough rather than looking at your face and seeing how perfect you are. Make us wise. 
make us wise. In Jesus' name, amen.